this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, man, it is a blessing and an honor and a privilege to be able to not just serve uh, in the music and worship area at Brookville Road, but I'm also able to preach once in a while. And, and I think, thank you so much. I think that as we continue this courage series, that Pastor Chris showed an enormous amount of courage as he asked me to preach today. And the reason being, now wait, it gets better. The reason being, thank you, last time I preached, we had a full room. And it was four days later and the church shut down for 14 weeks. Now, I know there were some external factors at work there, but, you know, I don't think it, it takes like a, an Andy Flink level of college degree to say he's never preached before. We've never shut down for 14 weeks before. I mean, there may be a connection. So Pastor Chris showed an enormous amount of courage in asking me to preach today. And as we continue in this courage series, the thing that I want to share first is an observation. Now, this isn't, this isn't uh, in scripture anywhere that it's stated like this. Uh, it's just my observation. I feel like that our courage is often tied to what we think we can do. So our courage would be tied to what we think we can do, the influence we have, the abilities we have. Our fear, on the other hand, is often tied to what we think we can't do. So we know our limitations and we fear things that we think we can't do. And so just some real life examples of this. Um, I would have great fear based on what I know I can do and what I know I can't do. If somebody said, get in the car, we're going to uh, the arena and, and you're going to old school WWF cage fight with folding chairs, Trey Frank, our new ISM JHM director. That I, you would not like to see that. I, <laughs> Like, based on what I know I can do and the fact that I'm 5'6 and a quarter if I blow dry my hair, and he's like 19 feet tall, he's going to pound me. I am going to get hurt. I would have courage, though, if on the way to the arena, somebody said to me, actually, I'm going to take you to a singing competition, and you have to compete in the singing competition. I'd be like, okay, (laughs) this one I can handle. Like, this one I understand a little bit more. Uh, I know what I can do and what I can't do, and and I'm going to fare a lot better than if I were to fight Trey. But then if we were still in the car and somebody said, actually, you're not going to either one, you're going to the American Olympic gymnastics tryouts, I would have fear. Because I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. And I'm going to get hurt probably just as bad as if I cage fought Trey. But finally, if instead that person said, you're actually going to go back to my house. I'm getting out the Super Nintendo. Super Mario World, there's a star level that nobody can beat. Nobody has the courage to play this level. I would say, no, I got it. Because I know what I can do. Right? So I feel like. I feel like our fear is often tied to what we think we can't do and our courage is tied to what we think we can do. But when we become followers of Jesus, all of that changes or it should change. Joshua 1.9 is probably the most famous scripture verse about courage in the whole Bible. It says this, you probably know it. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I think it makes sense to take a look at the life of Joshua today and try to draw out some of his exceptional courage and to try to use that in our own lives as we tackle the things that God sets before us. So go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them today. Scroll, flip, do whatever you need to do. Let's get to Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 6, verses 1 through 20. 1 through 20. And as you get there, I'll give you a recap. This is what happened on the last episode of Old Testament. Right? So the Israelites were in Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt. And God raises up this leader named Moses. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says the famous words. What does he say? Let, let my people go. And Pharaoh needed to negotiate a little bit, so God sent some waves of plagues, and he finally agreed that that was a good idea. And so he let the Israelites go, but they, they weren't going to go safely. He sent his army of chariots after them. Moses comes upon this body of water with his people, you know, all the people of Israel, and there are chariots behind him, and God does a miracle, and he parts the Red Sea. Moses crosses on dry, dry ground. The Israelite people cross on dry ground, but when the chariots come in, the sea closes and Pharaoh's army perishes. So Moses is given this promised land that God had promised the Israelite people, and he's told, go. But the Israelite people don't like that idea. They have a little bit of fear, maybe based on what they think they can do or they think they can't do about taking the land. And so God says, because of that, you're going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years. You're going to circle. You're not going anywhere. You're just going to go in circles for 40 years. During that time, that generation passes away, including Moses. And Joshua uh, takes control of the Israelites. Now, Joshua is given the job of leading the people into the promised land, but it's not going to be an easy job. There are already people in the promised land that live there. There are fortified cities, developed cities. There are kings. There are armies. And they're not looking to just hand their land and their lives away to these people. And maybe, maybe you know what's coming next. Maybe you've been around a church for a while and you know this story. You could probably quote it. I want you to try to hear this story like it's new today. Because I think there's a lot of power in this story. If you don't see and feel the power in this story, if you don't love this story, I question your ability to love things. Because this is an amazing story in scripture. Try to hear it as new. So as Joshua enters into the promised land, he, he first encounters this city called Jericho, right? And it has these defenses that are really well known. These huge walls, these gates that can be locked. They had an army, they had a king, and it's not going to be an easy ride. And so in, in chapter 6, verse 1, scripture tells us now, um, as they come upon the city, which is my emphasis, now, as they come up on this city, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So they knew the Israelites were coming. And then the Lord makes this confusing statement next. It's, let me read it for you. Then the Lord says to Joshua, as he's looking at this city that's fortified with gates and armies, he says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now, if I'm Joshua, and I don't know the end of my story because I'm living my story, I'm going to say, uh, no, you did not. Maybe I need an eye exam, but what I see are walls and soldiers and gates and people. I don't see anything that you've just 
handed over to me. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, but Joshua's thinking, this is going to be, you know, trying to, trying to break down these walls or bust through this gate. This is going to be like trying to cut through a brick with a butter knife. And while we're trying to cut through that brick with our butter knife, they are going to mess us up, right? We're going to have a bad time. But God says, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. And that's, that's not what I'm seeing. But then pick up on some sarcasm here. God gives him this foolproof battle plan. Foolproof battle plan. March around the city. Once with all the armed men, do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse. The army will go up, everyone straight in. There's no like catapults or like battering rams or anything. We're going we're gonna to march around the wall with trumpets and horns. Like that's your plan. That's the best we've got. Like God of the universe, that's the best plan that we have. Now, this isn't a trick question. Is a trumpet a weapon? No, a trumpet is not a weapon. It can be weaponized, but it is not classified as a weapon. What's it for? I mean, it's, it's for music, right? It's for songs, I mean, surely this will work. Remember that time when I was a kid and I played the ram's horn and all those fortified cities fell down? You remember that? No, neither does Joshua. And Joshua is responsible for his people. I mean, Joshua has his friends and their kids and people that he knows, his, his family members. He has these people to think about. Is it wise to lead these people around this fortified city to walk around with trumpets and ram's horns, just trusting God that they're not going to be killed? I mean, these are real people with real lives. And that's kind of when it gets real, isn't it? When you have to trust God with a plan that feels irresponsible or it feels unreasonable, or it doesn't make sense to you. I mean, anyone here ever been there? Anybody feel like they've had to trust God with something that's unreasonable? And I would, I would raise my hand for that. I mean, maybe it was when God asked you to give something away of yours that's valuable, or when God asked you to take a new job that pays less money, and you just have to trust him. Or when he says, hey, adopt that child after you know I'm done with kids. Now I'm, I can't do it. I can't do the baby again, but adopt that child. You know, maybe he says, go into vocational ministry, or maybe he says, leave vocational ministry. Whatever it is, you're trusting God with something that feels unreasonable. And, and that's where the rubber really meets the road, isn't it? But I think there are at least two reasons why God put Joshua in charge in this moment. The first was because he knew Joshua was capable of leading these Israelite people into the promised land. But the second, I think, is because as you sit here in these seats this morning or you watch online this morning, God planned for Joshua's story of courage to inspire courage in your life. In verse 6, it says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And as he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, 
blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded his army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. So he's doing exactly as God had asked him to do. In verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching around the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. I'm going to stop the story here. Because I feel like there are people in this room who can relate to what's happening in this story right now. I think there are people in this room who may be circling a Jericho. They may be circling something in their life. And they feel like they're moving and you're doing what God has asked you to do and you're following the Lord, but there's this problem and it's just not going away and the walls aren't crumbling. And maybe you're on day six or maybe you're on day 600 or maybe you're on day 6,000 of circling this Jericho, but but the walls just won't fall. And where there was faith and, and following Jesus, now you're starting to get tired and you're starting to get impatient. But I want you to know that God assigned Jericho to Joshua. God assigned it to him. And God probably assigned you your Jericho. Let me give you an illustration. This is going to be Jericho. This is my Jericho. Right? And what God asked Joshua to do is what God asks you to do. He asked Joshua to circle Jericho. What did God not ask Joshua to do. God did not ask Joshua to worry about Jericho. God did not ask Joshua to uh, fix his eyes on Jericho and kind of turn his body to face Jericho. God did not ask Joshua to solve the problem of Jericho as he circles around it. He did not ask Joshua to fear Jericho. But a lot of times, that's what we do, isn't it? We focus on Jericho. And when we focus on Jericho, do you know what we do? We make it bigger than it ought to be. We add bricks to the walls of Jericho. What God asked Joshua to do was circle Jericho. Not to fix his eyes on it, but to keep his eyes fixed on the Lord. And trust that God is going to do what only God can do. And Joshua needs to do what Joshua was made to do. See, the difference is he doesn't need to focus on Jericho because Jericho already fell. In verse 2, what does God say? God says, I've already delivered it into your hands. It's already done. I've gone before you. The job is finished. You don't need to worry about it because I've already done it. Deuteronomy 1.30 says, The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. 
Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah 52.12 says, But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. And Psalm 139.5 says, You are all around me, in front of me, behind me. I feel your hand on my shoulder. And Joshua believes this. He believes that God has gone before him, that Jericho is delivered into his hands. And so he doesn't have to fixate on Jericho. All he needs to do is what God asked him to do and circle it while he keeps his eyes fixed on the Lord. As Hebrew 12, 2 says, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Jerichos can often exist to build our faith to a place where we believe that those things are true. And when you see God work in your life, that builds trust and that builds courage. You're saying, man, I'm circling these walls and nothing's happening. But what God is saying is if you only knew what was coming on day seven, if you only knew, I know it's day six and it looks the same as it did on day one, but if you only knew what I was gonna do in your life and through your life and with your life on day seven, it would blow your mind. The miracle is coming for Israel. In verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. They didn't do anything different the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times, as the Lord had instructed. The seventh time around, the priests sounded the trumpet. Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He believed it. He believed what the Lord had said. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Something that we often miss when we look at this story is that it took six days of what appeared like nothing. Six days of what appeared like no progress at all to get to day seven where God moved. We want day seven. I want day seven for you. To get to day seven, to have the courage to get to day seven, to continue on what God has asked you to do, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, here's the thing that it's really easy for me to stand up here and say, well, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You'll be fine. It's really hard in real life, isn't it? It's really hard. The problem with Jericho is that this is an immediate, persistent threat in my life. It feels really big. It's that thing that that when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you think of. And when you go to bed at night, it's the last thing that you think of. It's this persistent threat to our lives. And and we lose patience when we feel like God isn't doing anything. We just want to stop waiting and fix the problem. I mean, I've been there. Maybe your son's rebellion feels too big to wait for God. It needs addressed now. Or maybe your financial struggle feels too big to really wait for God. It needs addressed now. Or maybe you feel like that marital tension or that failing health or that anxiety. That's too big. We can't wait for God to do what he's going to do. It has to be addressed 
now. Something has to happen and God isn't working. And what we do is we take our eyes off of Jesus to put them on the problem. Do you know that that's exactly how the Israelites ended up in the desert for 40 years? They took their eyes off what the Lord had asked them to do, focused on the problem. (laughs) It didn't work out well for them. I don't don't want that for you. And, And I'll be honest, I understand it maybe more than some today. I've had a Jericho in my life that I just wish would fall. Um, On May the 12th, I woke up one morning and I just had this persistent, high-pitched, slightly painful ringing in my ears. And I I went to the doctor and I got, you know, some medication and, and he put me on some steroids. It doesn't show, but put me on some steroids and it got a little bit better, but it, it really hasn't changed. And so I, I literally, the first thing that I wake up to in the morning is, is I wake up to this ringing that I just can't stop. I can't escape. I can't get away from. I go to sleep with it. It keeps, it keeps me awake at night. And I, I just, I, I, want, I want it to go away. You know, but God has given me this Jericho. And he says, walk around this wall and keep your eye fixed on me. But what if the wall is so tall that it's hard for me to see over? What if it's hard for me to keep my eyes fixed on the Lord because that wall just keeps getting bigger and bigger? Moses saw a miracle in the Red Sea, but it wasn't by his power that the waters parted. And I have to remind myself of that. You know, Paul, when he was snake bit and he was shipwrecked and he was lost at sea, it wasn't by his power that the island of Malta came to Christ. And I have to remind myself of that. I mean, it was Peter. He, he stepped out onto the water and he literally stood upon the waves, but it wasn't by his power that he stood upon the waves, but it was when he took his eyes off of Jesus that he sank. And the Israelites, they took the city of Jericho, but it wasn't by the power of their sword that they did. And I have to remind myself of that. Their courage didn't come from what they thought they could do or what they thought they could affect or what they thought they could change. Their courage didn't come from steel and from wood. It came from the Lord, our God. And if we fix our eyes on him, the miracle can come in our life too. I'm gonna expand on that in just a minute. But first, I want to say how. How do we do this? How do we fix our eyes on the Lord? If we look at Jericho, we see that their weapon is what? Their weapon was a, a trumpet. Their weapon was a trumpet. Their weapon was their, we sang it earlier, their melody right? Their shouts of praise, their melody and their praise brought down the walls of Jericho. Where do we see instruments and shouts of praise today? In worship. Thank you from the front row. In worship. Worship is powerful. Worship is the key to fixing your eyes on Jesus. 
And we have this God who is so glorious and, and is so majestic and so powerful and so amazing that it's criminal for him to not be praised. It's unacceptable. I would say it's sinful for the Lord to not be praised because he is so great and so glorious. That is why we walk this earth and we breathe this air. We were created because there is a Lord worthy of being praised and somebody should praise him. That is why we walk this earth. And when we worship, we fix our eyes on the Lord. It takes our our gaze off of how big our problem is or how tall the walls are. And it focuses on how much bigger God is than the problem that we face. Worship breeds courage because it changes our focus. And so I'm going to fix my eyes on the Lord. My, My ears might be ringing. As I prepare this message, my ears might be ringing as I prepare the worship sets each week. Or as I meet with our staff and discuss ministry, my ears might be ringing, but I'm going to praise God. And I might be hurting, but I'm going to praise God. And I might be confused, but I'm going to praise God. I might be angry, but I'm going to praise God. And I might be in a jail cell, but I'm going to praise God so loud that the prison guards are going to get saved. Because that's what Paul did. We sang a song earlier. Hear the lyrics. There's a table you've prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body and the blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. It's easy to miss the depth of that song and those lyrics. There's a table that you've prepared for me. There are gifts in my life that God has prepared for me and given to me. Maybe they're talents, maybe they're opportunities. Maybe there's a financial gift that God has given you. Maybe you have the gift of athleticism or you have the gift of finance or you have the gift of music or whatever you have the gift of. God has a table that he's prepared for you, just for you. There's a place setting for you that's just for you. But there are also gonna be some enemies, right? There are gonna be some circumstances in your life that are hard. There are going to be some people that you come across that are difficult. There are going to be some weaknesses that you have as a person that plague you from birth to death. There are going to be some health issues that you have to work around. There are enemies. There is a table and there are blessings and there are enemies and there are problems. But it's not about that, is it? It's about the body and the blood that was shed for me. It's not about the table and it's not about the enemies. It's about the body and the blood you've shed for me. That's it. That's my focus. That's my purpose. That's how I fight my every battle, everything that comes my way. It's just the body and it's the blood. I don't know what. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know when the walls are coming down, but I know my life is about Jesus and I'm going to worship him because that's what I'm made to do. And I'm going to let him do what only he can do. And that's bring those walls down. There might be walls, but I'm not worried. And there might already be a king, but I'm not worried. And there might be an army, but I'm not worried because I'm going to put my blinders on. I'm going to do what I was created to do. The purpose for my existence was to worship God and to praise God and to sing of his glory. One One of the scripture verses that we love to misquote is, he works all things together for the good of those who love him, right, for his children. One thing that I like to do with that verse is I like to change all. I like to change the word all for other words that are less fun. 
Like, we can do, like, God works good things together for the good of his children. But what if we change it to God works bad things together for the good of his children? God works hard things together for the good of his children. God works new things together for the good of his children. So when I experience something in my life, like a Jericho, I know that God is working this together with everything else for my good. And if it's for my good, I'm gonna trust God, glory to God, praise God. Thank you for loving me in a way that you care about what is good. So we need to worship, fix our eyes on Jesus. And when your courage comes from his promise and and your trust in him instead of what you think you can do or what you think you can't do, that's the kind of courage that gets you to day seven. That's the kind of courage that gets you to the place where you can see the walls fall and you can see God work. We need to renew our perspective, fix our eyes on praising God and to do what we're made to do and trust God to do what only God can do. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvillroad.cc. God bless you.